Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Project Future podcast. In this episode, I speak with an inspirational young entrepreneur, Sam Halligan. Like episode 11 with Sam's mum, Elaine, this episode is made up of two conversations recorded a year apart in December 2019 and December 2020. And we all know that the world changed hugely within that time. For Sam, it was no different, and he's evolved considerably during the year. But by listening closely to the first part of the conversation, you'll hear that the acorns were there long before COVID arrived. Sam explains how he's realised entrepreneurship was for him, how he's explored things he's passionate about, and how he's found solutions to problems his customers have. He's also had a lot of fun along the way, which I think is key to any business. Sam's constantly looking to find solutions and to make things better. His best advice is to start with something you know well, that you're passionate about, and to keep believing that you'll make it happen. Sam is also a contributor to my book, Project Future. Let's have a listen. So welcome, Sam. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. So I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit about your, your background yeah. um, and how you came to entrepreneurship. It started back at school and I was um, severely dyslexic. I think that was always a, um, a sort of a fear that I'd never be employable. Um, and I guess that's probably where it started. And I guess, I guess that thought was very untrue. But okay. in a sense, it, it it gave me, it created sort of a, a drive. It created that space exactly where you that could I was, explore those options. Yeah, and I, I, I sort of thought for a long time I wasn't employable. And it was it was important to actually get a job and realise that I was employable. Yeah. And actually realise that there was something a lot deeper about wanting to work for myself. Okay. And not wanting to be employed. You had you had a job. Yeah. You've, you've had regular jobs, as mm-hmm. it were, regular in inverted yeah, commas. Yeah. So, so I left school and school was tough. But at the end, it was really rewarding, and I found a real purpose and really enjoyed it. Fantastic. And decided that I wanted to get good grades and make something of my life, yep. so to speak. Um, and I decided that university wasn't for me. I was quite done studying. It wasn't something that came naturally, but I knew it was something I had to do to get to the next stage. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and I took a job in events management. Yeah, interesting you say about project management. Yeah. So at the time, I was re- I was really taken by project management. I'd done a few. Um, sort of work experience things and I really like the idea of sort of overseeing a project from start to finish mm. and that kind of led me into events and I loved it it was very very rewarding and I did it for a year straight out of school but realized it wasn't what I wanted to do firstly I didn't want to be in events 
Um, I didn't want to be helping people have the party, so to speak, and always being on the, ro- being on the wrong side of it, and working working those long hours, so working those Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, yep. um, and then being given a Wednesday off didn't quite work. It wasn't the work-life balance that I wanted. Absolutely. And a lot of uh, yeah, working around the clock and seeing the sunrise and the sunset in the same day. Um, so yeah, so that, but what I did realise is I saw someone else who had created their own business yeah and that was really important so you had that real life example of, yeah of, of seeing seeing the journey and you could argue that's where i then decided i wanted to be unemployable okay rather than thinking i was unemployable yes which is a big mindset shift exactly yeah and that that was important so i, I was actually quite scared as a child that i wouldn't be able to and i think people had i think people had scared me they'd said sam you weren't going to get any gcse's and that automatically made me feel like I wouldn't be able to give value to someone else. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I sort of span, span the table around, so to speak, and realised that I didn't want to be employed because I'd seen someone who ran their own business and I was really inspired by it. Okay. And then that, I guess it made it a bit awkward maybe for the events world because I, I sort of, I think as I'm still very young, but you, you always want to grow quite quickly, don't you? And you want to, and I really wanted to climb through that business too quickly. But it, but it gave me a lot of ideas. And that was when I actually decided to first pursue the car thing. So I think it was it was probably it was the summer of 2014. So how did that start? Yeah. Did, how did, did you always had an interest in cars? Or? Always had an interest in cars. Yeah. I bought my first car blind from auction. It was a 1970s Fiat 500. A little okay. Nice. A red one. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I, hadn't, I didn't even know I was going to fit in it. <laughs> so I bought that and yeah, loved it. And had no intention of making money. I just knew I probably wouldn't lose money, which was always important. And did it need doing up? Not too much. Okay. It, I mean, classic. Like it's a car. It's mm-hmm. a classic car, right? So it broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to learn to fix it, and there was all that went with that. But no, it didn't need. It didn't need a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but I realised that I'd overpaid for it. Right. Which was a key. It was a key sort of. Um, that was a finding out, I guess. Yeah. So. That was a key lesson, yeah. Exactly. So I learned that I'd overpaid for it and that someone else was probably willing to pay. If I was willing to pay what I paid for it, then other people probably were. Yeah. So that led me to... what. And while I was doing this events job, it was they were quite flexible. So they were quite entrepreneurial and they knew I was. And they actually gave me the space to start my own business. And they, they said that was okay. So it was very... Um, it was early days. So it was, it was... I was basically just sort of... Um, and what, a sole trader, so to speak. And what was the go. business you created? So I didn't even know it was a business at the time, but it, it was. Um, I went to Italy with a friend and basically replicated buying my car, but from where they came from and realised that, you know, if you bought them from the source, you could get them a bit cheaper yep. and then bring them somewhere like London where they're desirable and hopefully sell them for a turn. Um, and I did that and it was, in reflection, pretty unsuccessful. There was a lot of work for very little reward, um, but it was it was a learning curve and a test. It gave you that real world experience. It did, and um, that was really fun. So I did those two cars, and then sort of got to the end of the events thing and realised it wasn't what I wanted. Decided I was going to go, I guess, travelling, so to speak. Um, and I always loved cars, so I wanted to involve the sort of car factor. So I drove from London to Mongolia. Wow. Yeah, which was a big, it's a big <laughs> trip. Yeah. 
I was quite lucky because I'd been I'd, I'd been living at home. I've been working too hard, so I didn't have any time to spend my money. Um, so I spent pretty much all my money that I uh, earned traveling from London to Mongolia in a little Skoda. So I did that with um, two other two other friends, and that was probably a trip of a lifetime. Yeah, and that was uh, that was when things also went full circle again. So I'd now found this passion for cars and kind of worked out how to make money out of it, which is fun because it's both a passion and a business. And then I also realised that I was obsessed with travelling and particularly travelling overland. So going from A to B by car. Um, I think you just see a different, you see the world in a different perspective. You know, if you fly yeah. somewhere, you don't really get it. And equally, if you're on a train, you can't stop when you want to stop. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Although you get to see it very fast. So yeah, that was that was very cool. So and all then, these ideas just came together yeah. and you, you forged the business as a result. Yeah, it was all very sort of exploring, I guess. And then I decided that university was for me. Okay. And it took me it took me a year and I think I realized I guess it was a bit naive, but I, I felt like I wasn't really climbing in the events business and I felt that I don't I think this is this is what I felt. I don't think it's right or wrong, but I felt like maybe I needed a, I needed a degree in in something I wanted to pursue to to go further. So what did you decide to study? Um and real estate has always been like a passion as well. So I yep. really love property. Um, so I studied real estate and it was, it was probably the best thing I could have done. Okay. Um, I think it really sort of grounded me and taught me a lot about discipline. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it was a fun few years. Made some really good friends. Yeah, I did that for a year. But I realised I had a lot of time. Yeah. U- university, I think you're sort of, you're doing the work you do in one year over three years. Yeah. So there was a lot of time. There's a lot of thinking time, and mm. um, so that's, I think, looking back to my own journey, mm. kind of 15 years or so, I didn't really use that thinking time as wisely as I could have done. But, yeah. um, but if, if you're thinking about and you know how to use that, mm. the what you're learning academically and applying that into a into a business mm. indirectly, mm. Uh, potentially as well, then yeah, it's time so, well spent. Yeah, so that was really <laughs> interesting because then I had a lot, a lot of cogs were going. Yeah. Because I'd worked out a few things. I'd worked out that I loved cars. I worked out that I loved business. Um, I was going on this new journey about learning about property, which was also interesting. And I kind of felt like cars were almost a stepping stone. Because you learn a lot of business acumen that I thought I could probably convert into the property world. So yeah, lots of cogs going. But then there was there was a sort of a there was a pinnacle moment in January. 2016 where I was sort of chasing I was chasing something else and me being me and being obsessed with cars I was chasing cars you know there must be something else I could do because the Fiat's hadn't been as successful as I wanted them to be but they taught me a lot yeah so it was in January that I decided I was going to buy some old Range Rovers so I found a Range Rover a two-door Range Rover people that were I guess Born in the 60s, 70s, will remember these, or, or earlier. So they were sort of like the first Range Rovers. Um, anyway, I bought one from Barcelona and brought it, drove back to London. Didn't really know what I was doing. Didn't know what I had bought. It was, I was definitely exploring. <laughs> <laughs> um, and advertised it. And a day later, it was sold. Wow. Um, a, a man, a gentleman called me from Dubai and he was like, asked me a few questions. He said he was sending his brother his brother looked at the car and within 24 hours, he was like, can you ship it to Dubai? Wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I can ship it to Dubai. 
I haven't a clue how to ship a car to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> um, work that bit out later. Yeah, exactly. I was like, work that bit out later. I guess that's probably quite entrepreneurial, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Find a market, then work it out to do it. Or find a buyer, then work it out to do it. So the whole thing was very backwards and terrifying. And I sold this car for twice what I bought it for. And it was just, the whole thing was addictive, to be honest. I was just like, Sam, wow, what have you done? But it kind of took me 18 months to get to that stage. Because I'd done the Fiat's. Hmm. I'd learned some lessons, done a lot of hard work, and then eventually come out doing this. And that was like, that was really what reinforced, consolidated that, yeah, Sam, I believe believe in what I'm doing. This can work. I can definitely grow this. And that was when then I started repeating it. And yeah, I probably, I I think I worked out the other day, I think I sold about 45 cars while I was at university. Wow. Yeah. So just, yeah, really kicked off. That's amazing. Um, and the, the, I mean, the margins were nowhere near what the first one were, but it was it was a formula that I'd sort of um, got down, and it was quite a unique formula that no one else was. I mean, other people were doing it, but it wasn't you know widespread. I was buying cars from Europe and selling them out of Europe from the UK, and that wasn't something that I knew. But it was I kind of worked it out by buying a car and selling it to someone out of the EU in the Gulf, and that taught me that there was that market. Yeah. And then I replicated it and then other markets appeared. So people started buying from America. So then I would identify who was buying and then find the cars in Europe and find and then pitch them to the right audience. So then it, it really came, it, the, the whole business became more about relocating and identifying where you could add value by geographically moving things. So you find there's a big following in the States for English cars that are left-hand drive for obvious reasons. And also markets where the cars didn't comply. So it turned into like a bit of a regulatory thing. So I worked out there was, you know, in America, they can't import, they could never import Land Rovers new because they didn't comply with federal regulations and emissions and stuff. Yeah. So I started to sort of play around with those. And that would sort of lead me to buy a certain mark of car. So that that was really fun because yeah. I really I really enjoyed that. There was a lot of problem solving. Um, and none of it's rocket science. It was just, I guess, just economics, really, um, on, a, on a very basic level. Um, yeah, and I kept doing that for university. And it sort of gave me that fulfillment. And yep. I think the more and more you do it, the more and more you feel unemployable for the right reasons. Yes, indeed. Because you know that you're your own boss. And why would you go yep. to work? Um, so I think I've probably uh, jeopardised getting a job from an early age by doing all that. <laughs> yeah, but you've, but you, you've made yourself, yeah. you know, and the, the experience that you've you, you've got, and mm. uh, you know, having a, a viable business mm. is is fantastic. And and to you know to have, have, have kind of understood um, your own personal kind of requirements mm. and and uh, what you enjoy doing mm. um, is, is is a great skill and and something that you know a lot of people learn later in life to, to be able to know your own mind mm-hmm. and to uh, constantly uh, find find something you enjoy doing understanding trialing it mm. and then kind of pivot and, and and you know kind of tweak the method um, to settle on something is uh, it's, it's a great case study and incredibly yeah. useful I mean that's very much what we're going for at the moment is sort of tweaking things yeah and it's like scalings probably is the number one toughest thing I've done mm. so far I wouldn't say my my sort of business journey has been incredibly tough, but it's, a lot of it's been driven by passion, and I think yeah. that makes it a lot easier because you just you do silly things and you, you work too hard, and yeah, because you like it, um, and that that's probably the easiest bit of it, right? 
So now, um, now you are busy. Yeah. Are you working with other people, or is it? Yeah. So I've got a partner. Okay. I've got a business partner who's based in Yorkshire. Right. And we have a warehouse in Yorkshire. And um, I mean, the very basic business model is we we source from the continent. We take to Yorkshire. I call it repositioning, but I guess it's um, sympathetic restoration. Yeah. Um, to bring the cars up to scratch, to a, a retail level, because a lot of these cars have been used as farm vehicles. And I, you, I don't know if you're aware, but like you know, they they released the new Defender recently, and it's like you know, I think it starts at fifty thousand pounds. Yeah. So all those people that bought a Defender thirty years ago are completely priced out of a new one. Yeah. So a lot of you know Renault deal, dealers will have old Land Rovers that have come in Part X, for example, in Spain, Italy. So we're sort of buying up all those cars that have you know come to the end of their usable life, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we're bringing them back up to scratch, um, and then yeah, selling them overseas. So my role is very much the marketing, so trying to reach new markets. Yeah, I do the website. We just finished a big website project, um, buying the cars, um, and then my partner Zach he does the operation side, so he's yeah yeah repositioning them. And how um, did that relationship come about with that? Ca- yeah, yeah, that came about from university. Okay, so we were never actually good friends. He just was on the same course as me, and then we we started talking about this in the final in our final year. And yeah, just he he also wasn't convinced he wanted to get a um, graduate role. Um, and we, we said to ourselves, you know, give this a go for at least a year or two and see how it goes. And yeah, it's, it's going well. It's tough. And I think, yeah, one of the things I was going to say is the, the biggest thing is the scaling. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you're doing something yourself and you haven't, no one else has got to, you haven't got to report to anyone else or no one's got to report to you or you haven't got to rely on anyone else. You can be quite consolidated and get things do things quite efficiently and now we're trying to you know juggle 20 cars and there's two of us and we've got to rely on people to restore them it gets a bit out of control i guess yeah <laughs> so i'm trying to work out how to make it as less out of control as possible so that's your next that's in proper english <laughs> no it is it definitely is there's plenty of uh, plenty yeah. of double and tre- treble negatives all make, all, all make sense to entrepreneurs so <laughs> yeah. so that's your next step it's your next phase is to scale the business effectively and yeah yeah we want to see yeah how um, how much how much we could do and we're trying a few different we're trying different things so i think a big factor is like transparency especially selling overseas because yeah. a lot of our buyers don't touch what we sell and they don't get the opportunity and that's that's all about setting ourselves apart from the competition because i think i like to think of ourselves i don't want to flatter myself too much but the nice guys in a sort of in an industry that's got a bad rep yeah um, for whatever reasons so that's quite important mm. so longevity yeah and that's what I sort of work on um, and I think subsequently we've had to sort of reduce our margins and we're aware of that and we're trying to make that up by scaling the business yes so rather than high margin sort of higher volume not hugely high volume but just you know enough to make it work but it's having that balance mm-hmm. and getting that balance right so you can and have, that, tough, have yeah. turnover yeah, yeah exactly yeah. And I don't, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how long it will go on for. It's definitely a passion. Um, so I'll, I'll always be obsessed with cars. I'll always have a few silly cars. But I don't, I don't know how long it, how long we'll do it. We'll just see how it goes. But it's, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a great first business, but it's something we're passionate about and we can sort of use it as a, it's, it's like a test, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So, and, um, yeah, and you've got, it sounds like you've come a long way since you bought that, the first bit. Yeah, I have, yeah, and, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you never know what opportunities may, may come. You know, and I think for, for I would love one. to sort of diversify yeah. and start a few other businesses. 
but no, it's, it's very fun. And that's how we left it for a year. So let's now move on to December 2020 and bring things right up to date. Hi, Sam. Great to speak with you again. Oh, you too, Rob. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. And I can't believe that it's a, it's a year, almost the day since our first conversation. So it's yeah. been quite a... It's quite a year it's been uh, in one way or another for, for all of us. And the, the way we left the conversation last time, you know, you were you were in a, a stable place with your business, um, but you're also looking to to move forwards and, and progress it and, diverse, and diversify. So I've, I'd love to hear how the year has gone for you and what you've been up to. Yeah, no, it's been a um, it's been a roller coaster year, hasn't it? Really? Um, it feels it feels like yesterday that we spoke. I think it was a bit scary, isn't it? It's a really scary year when you look back at it because you're like, where? Where is the world as we know it going? And will we yep. ever get back to where we were in 2019? I think that's what everyone gets caught up on. It's a completely different different world. And it's a, a different... I think people have learned so much more this year. I think that's, I think that's, that's so true. I think I've, I've definitely... I think I've learned more this year than I've ever learned, um, hands down. Which is really ironic because I probably haven't left my office. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i i know you've been working very very hard so so what have you been up to what have you what have you developed over the over um the time? well not not traveling i guess is the first thing which is the sad bit so i think last time we spoke there was uh there was probably a few um anect- anecdotal tales of traveling um which certainly, certainly were which just hasn't happened um but what have we been up to i guess it started in march didn't it um for everyone it's that sort of I feel like it was almost that unspoken word now covid um, yep. I kind of don't want to start the conversation with it. So where did it start? Um, it started probably, the best way to put it is with an email. Um, so it started with an email from Zach, um, my business partner, saying all the subject line was SLC closure, um, which uh, just pulled a lot of things internally for me. Because I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. We're not, we're not closing. We're just, we're just getting started. So I um I sent an aggressive blunt email back being like uh don't think so what do you mean um and I guess that really it sparked a few things because it sparked a big anxiety in me being like whoa you know what's going on um you know we've been importing all these cars from Europe we've been trying to put ourselves in a position where we can restore them in Yorkshire um and really you know take the business to the next level um, and suddenly it seems like that's not going to happen. Um, so I was like, whoa, this is, uh, this is scary. So we've got all these garages closing, our sort of infrastructure that we've been, you know, working so hard to build up is, is looking to, you know, fall apart. So, yeah, so that was uh, imminently scary. So I was like, okay, everything, everything as we know is changing. Um, I'm thinking, well, you know, what do we do? It's, it's the resilience card. So we need to work out, you know, what's going on and how and how do we you know bring something to what we do that's what people want and what people can access so you know suddenly they no one can come visit us which isn't a big issue because you know we've built up our niche of exporting cars so no one's ever visited us so that's that that's the bonus right that's the golden ticket is the fact that we've built up this relative online presence in the classic car world um and people are hopefully going to still buy what's really scary is shipping so that was one of my immediate uh, sort of threats. I was like, well, you know, we've just seen the oil price just go negative. It's just gone negative. We've got people, you know, paying to take it away. Um, the shipping lines I've are forgotten all, about that, you know. Sh- yeah, the shipping lines I, are I all think- up in arms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That was remarkable, wasn't it? I'd forgotten all it about was. that in the screen when when oil went negative. It was like, wow, you know, what is going on? Uh, and that was um, that was a funny moment actually because I um, I I sort of I had thought about it, not the not that the oil price go negative, but I, but I thought that you know our ability to move things around might be might become tricky. Yeah, um, and I I made quite. It was it an astute decision? Was it a crazy decision? Um, it was a decision full of probably scared, um, un- uncertain. It was a ballsy decision. So I'd been building this relationship with a company in Virginia um, called Commonwealth Classics, um, who are a fantastic uh, car dealer who basically do what we do, but from America. Okay. Um, so they had found us for Instagram um, probably not long after we had our first chat and said, hey, you know, we've seen what you're doing. It looks really akin to what we're doing. You know, it'd be great to see if we can collaborate. And we probably had a dialogue for about a year and nothing happened. Um, and then eventually, you know, we picked up more of a conversation and things progressed. And it got to a point where we were sort of considering whether we sent one of our vehicles that we had refurbished to them to then retail into the States. Um, because I think we we may have touched on it in our last chat, but I think one of the problems we have is sort of trying to reach that market in America because we're yep. only reaching. There's only so far you can go if you know people can't come and touch the the stuff, the merchandise. That's it, um, and and to and to get it, you know, to, to directly. I know because my my dad buys classic cars and and sells them, and he's had a bit of involvement in that. But at the same time, it's there's the challenge that you you're not going to reach the widest market if you don't have a um, a dealer in the local market, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that was like, so we were just, and you know, these guys Commonwealth were very much about, you know, they really sort of embraced the whole globalization and everyone working together, you know, for sort of, I said, not the better good, but, you know, just for, you know, to build the car community. Um, yeah, absolutely. So they were very, they were very keen to help. Um, and it was sort of, a, you know, it worked both ways. So, I had decided already in about January that we were going to send a car to them and we had sent that car and it hadn't sold, but I was quietly optimistic that it would be fine. Um, and it would hopefully improve that margin that we had been sort of battling with. Yep. Um, anyway, I made a very sort of slapdash decision that, you know what, let's send two more cars out to them because what happens if the shipping lines close um, and we can't you know, move any, move any of our vehicles stateside? were then sort of a bit screwed. So yep. um, we did that. And so we've got three cars sitting with them now. So I think it was about $60,000, $65,000 of cars, which for a small business, it was quite a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of cash flow, isn't it? That you've got yeah, locked up. Exactly. Um, it was maybe sort of 20, 30% of our inventory um, at the time. So we were like, okay, this is, this is a big move. Uh, anyway, we did it. What happened was the shipping lines all sort of, they didn't close, but everything just became very sporadic. You know, it wasn't easy to move things. Um, and that was obviously short-lived because the whole oil crash was short-lived. Um, yeah. But it was just like, that was sort of the opening scene, I guess, in our 2020. Um, and then it was just like, okay, well, we need to, we need to diversify. Um, so... The, the, the one of the what, what happened with those cars did they sell did, they did what? sell they sold they all sold um it all happened in about midsummer i think it was june july yeah um so it wasn't quick quick but yeah, at the time it wasn't we weren't really thinking about um 
thriving. We were sort of just thinking about surviving. Yes. Um, and I think everyone who probably runs their own business can probably relate to that. Um, and it was like, you know, people frantically trying to move their business online when they'd never done it before. Yep. And they probably weren't. And I had a few, I remember having a few conversations and people were just trying to get by, um, which is really sad, but that's just, you know, one of, I guess it's one of the takeaways from the year. Um, so that for, for us, it was very much that. Um, and one of the, one of the things we, the second thing we did to sort of survive was we realized we had all this inventory that we, you know, had big ideas that we would, you know, take it to the next level, reposition it. And all our dreams and ambitions of doing that had sort of fallen away. So I very quickly said, okay, we're, we're going to have a new product and we're going to call it the fast mover. So on our website, we call our cars, we call it the A-list. So rather than calling it, you know, uh, stock, we call it A-list. So we very quickly came up with this. It's just, a, it was a bit of just wor- wording really, but we came up with the fast movers and the A-list or the A-list and the fast movers. You say um, that, but it's very easy to understand. I think as a, oh, thank as, you. A, as a customer, as a client, you know, especially as someone that's not in your industry, of course, you know, I, I get that. Um, I, I get why I would be attracted to either of those propositions and why it could be the right fit for me very, very quickly. So um, wording and, and, and the branding of that, I think is fantastic. I really do. I think it's ace. So yeah, it was a bit of a branding play. Um, and I guess ultimately we've, we've always put really high sort of standards on making sure that, you know, if it's an A-list car, it has to be to a certain standard. And we now didn't have the infrastructure to do that. That had sort of been stripped from us. Um, so the fast movers made a lot of sense because it was really, it said what it, it, it said what it was. Um, and that it was really honest in the sense that, you know, it said fast mover and it said, you know, these are cars that, um, you know, they've got way to go. Um, yep. And they're, they're not, they're not, they're not there yet, but you know, with a bit of love and care, they can be. Um, so we, we, we just got, we found all the cars we could find that would fit that sort of category that we had sitting in the shed and we, you know, got them online um at a lot less of a profit than we expected and, and and we just started shifting them um and they sold all really quickly um that's really interesting and i, I think especially during the summer so during that period when a lot of people did have time on their hands then you know there, there's probably a lot of of customers out there for you that had always kind of wanted to restore a car and and do it themselves and had that kind of passion for it but I never necessarily had the time. So I, I think as well as you wanting to kind of shift the stock quickly, you, you you probably lurched onto an opportunity there of people that were in that position where suddenly they had the time to follow up a hobby that they yeah. never had the time to do. Absolutely. Um, and you're absolutely right, because it was actually looking back on it, it's like, why did we never have this, you know, ticket in our, you know, in our inventory? Yeah, um, because people people want cars they can work on. I mean, our biggest our biggest customers in America. I mean, a lot of people that are into the cars have home garages. They want to tinker. Yep. They you know they want to do things at their own pace. They don't want to spend a large amount of money straight off the bat, particularly to someone in London that they don't know um, or Yorkshire. So it actually it fit it fitted a lot. It sort of fixed a lot of problems that we hadn't really realised, and we probably hadn't come up with a good solution for. Yeah. Um, and then the second, I guess the third part of um, sort of survival was like, how do we keep the margins up? So I was like, well, I'm going to start doing my own shipping. 
So I, um, we always worked with a freight forwarder. He probably doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> um, <but> he, <laughs> he called, he called, he called, he actually, he called me, um, a few, maybe a few months back and he was like, what happened? Um, so I, uh, yeah, so I started doing, I started reaching out to shipping lines. Um, and weirdly they they were in a really vulnerable situation. Um, so they're a lot of big contracts that they had always sort of relied on was, was suddenly falling by the wayside. So it, it became transparent. It became apparent, sorry, that they were all quite keen to, you know, get new business from smaller people. Um, and we are tiny, um, you know, I might be able to guarantee 20 cars a year to a shipping line. And that would be a huge, probably exaggeration because there's obviously different routes that lines don't cover. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, I started doing that and, you know, found my own customs broker. And we, I just started doing a lot of the legwork myself, um, which was quite a rewarding experience in itself because it gave me a lot more control. Um, and it made it meant sure that I could it meant it meant that I could provide better customer service because I could really liaise with my customer and tell them where their car was in the whole process. Um, yes. Whereas before I couldn't to the same no, extent. I, I... I love it. I love how you're even open to the opportunity there and how that you looked at it and thought, okay, how can, how can we reduce costs? If mm. you've got a bit more time, a bit more time on your hands, potentially, you know, with the, with I the way I did. Was. Yeah. I really thought I had a lot more time. <laughs> it's, it's really been quickly like taken away from me, but I was convinced yeah. I had more time. Um, I guess that was a scary thing, isn't it? When you're used to being, having your days packed full and then suddenly you you know, you think they might be quite dead. Yeah. Um, so we did that and I wouldn't advise anyone to do it. Um, it's not, it's not worth the, it's not Are worth you still doing it now. I still do it. Um, we've actually, we've actually taken on a, um, this is, it's very, this is so 2020 we've taken on a virtual assistant. So we have, we have, um, we have, um, a lady called Zara that works for us in the Philippines and she, I'm training her up to do some of our, um, sort of logistics needs. So you're doing that now. You're you're still doing the logistics because yeah. You, don't tell her. I'm tr- I'm training someone. Learned. I've only got six months' experience. <laughs> but you're you're doing it now because you've learned the hard way. But you wouldn't advise in in the normal world. You wouldn't advise <laughs> taking on such a such a big no. task. So so divergent to your your regular business. Yeah, it's um. I guess that's why that's why you like you know you, that's why you pay lawyers. That's why you pay accountants because they do it better than you. Yeah. It's sort of the it's the same thing. It's um it's yeah. like if you do your own bookkeeping, it goes so far, and then you realise actually I'm probably not doing it very well, and I'm probably making a loss because I'm advising myself poorly. Yeah, absolutely. But I I love the way that you you sense the opportunity, and now you can continue it having you know kind of given it to somebody else within your team. But I, mm. I love the way that you looked into the opportunity, and you know if there hadn't been that solution to to give it to somebody else in your team, you'd think okay, now we're hopefully getting a bit more back to normal. We'll go back to using the regular the regular shipping firms so but just to look into the opportunity is is such a great thing yeah no you're, you're absolutely right and i don't i don't regret it for a minute um it was it, it's really nice to have learned a new skill um yeah i've got i've got a lot more understanding of the shipping world how it works who does what um and, it, and it's very and you know ironic like half our business is moving cars across the atlantic so you know why shouldn't i know about it i should yeah um, got no control so, end to end yeah. Yes, no, it's been, really, it's been really great. Good. And it's and it's given us a lot more of an advantage to be able to negotiate because, you know, now you speak to your freight forward, they're like, well, it's not just Sam that employs us. It's Sam that's actually done it himself. So yes. we've got to give him a bit more of a preferential rate here. So yep. it'll work. It'll work. <laughs> so that was sort of, in a nutshell, that was kind of how the first, I think is it like first part of the year played out. And how's it gone since then? 
it's gone really well. Um, we've, I've guessed the big thing that we probably haven't ironed out yet is how we get stock in and know what it is because we obviously used to travel a lot. So we used to be able to inspect the vehicles we purchased ourselves. Um, and that's something that's been really hard to do. And I think subsequently we've had a lot of cars come in that have sort of missed the mark. So we've now had to work out how we deal with that. And one of the one of the first things we've done is we've sort of we've divulged away into another area, which is sort of restoration. Um, okay. So yeah, so we're now doing full restorations um, from the ground up. It's the, the way you phrased it last time was that you were doing sympathetic restoration of, the, of the car. So, Correct. So yeah. you, you've now got the three lines. So I, I assume you're still doing the sympathetic side of things. You've got the fast movers, and then you've got the full restoration side of things. You just give me an idea there. I mean, on talking about branding, we need to have like I don't know, we call it the X list or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's actually really it's really funny because it's really against like everything that I've I think about classics because I'm really into the whole preservation and sort of doing only what needs to be done. I've never really I don't like the I think when you want to take a car apart, it's never the same again. Which is obviously not yep. true, but it's just how I feel about it. Um I think they're quite emotive things. And when you've got a car that's, you know, people have just done what they need to to keep it on the road. I don't mean yeah. scrimped, but, you know, just done the mechanicals, not worried about the cosmetics or, you know. No, I know what you mean. And, you know, we honeymooned in Cuba. And, you know, although it was all these amazing 50s cars going around, oh. you know, it, it, it fascinated me that they all had Toyota engines. I, I've been to Cuba and, yeah, the resourcefulness is amazing. Yeah. And they still all look good near enough, all of them anyway. One or two don't, but they almost all of them still look good, which is it's incredible that, you know, what they've survived. That's amazing. So, so where are we now going forwards as you move into 2021? What's the, what's next for you? So moving into 2021, um, I've got, I'm really, really happy with how Samuel Lloyd and Co has gone. Um, I still sort of stand by that it's not the forever business and it's been a great business to cut our teeth on. Um, and we've, you know, had some great developments. Um, but I've always in the back of my head, and I think you know this, I've always wanted to get into something else and it's never been clear what that was. And I think 2020 for me is really it's really made it a lot more clear. Um and I think one one thing I'm sort of in in the motion of doing is developing a, a sort of more of a platform for people to transact cars rather than be the guy that buys and sells the cars. Okay. So sort of more of a peer to peer thing that um, yep. allows people to interact, transact um, globally. The thing I've decided is important is, you know, no one should be limited to where they can purchase a car from. And I truly believe that because I've had some of, you know, some of the best cars I've owned have come from really remote places and really, you know, random places you wouldn't think of. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of scaremongering that, you know, you can't, you know, if you import a car, it's, you know, you're going to get your fingers burnt. Um, yep. So I can't give away too much, but I'm trying. We're, we're we're working quite hard, and it's a sort of it's with there's a few there's a few other people involved to um yeah build a platform to make that happen. That probably sounds that's probably not very clear at all, but <laughs> there you go. I think it's excellent, and I, I think it's really you in many ways, and it's kind of the way that lots of markets are going. You know, for people listening, the the whole marketplace model is is getting uh, wider and wider and more bespoke. So. Mm. I think the you know one of the tips I I give in the book is that if you're if you're looking to if you have a specific skill and you're looking to go onto a marketplace, type in your skill set, um, and then followed by the word marketplace, and you'll never know what Google's going to show you because there are so many different kind of marketplaces opening up all the time. 
Um, and this sounds like it would be a great addition and really useful for that bespoke market, uh, which is, although it's a, a small market, it's it's a it's a market nonetheless. And you've you've proved the model in in another way. So, yeah, I, I wish you every success with that. Thank you, Rob. I think that's yeah, it's very true. Your passion's a good way to lead something into a business. Yes. So you know, although a marketplace doesn't sound very revolutionary, you know, it's Amazon have got marketplaces. Um, Amazon is a marketplace, but it's you know taking something you know very well and then applying it to something bigger, um, which I think is what's I've sort of worked out in my head over the last eight months. Absolutely, and uh, and yeah, what a, what a great thing to be able to to offer um, to to your customers, you know, for the people that you care about solving the problem for. So. Yeah, and then just another, I've got another little business that's uh, ticking away in the background that's also to do with Land Rovers, but more on a domestic scale. So, you know, how we can make a product for Land Rover owners that, you know, really benefits them. Okay. And think, I guess, think emissions, think green, think, you know, where the world's going. Yep. So, yeah, it's got, we've got a product that's, um, yeah, in the in the pipeline. So it's a follow-on product for, for people that are either already your customers or for people that are, you know, that have the vehicles that, that well, you know and, and love so well? Yeah, no, so it's an interesting one. So it's actually not for anyone that we've done business before with, but it's for people okay. that, have, if you've got a Defender, um, that's a newer one in the UK, um, it appeals to them. Um, and there's a hundred, there's a hundred thousand um, Defenders built from 2012 to 2017, 2016, knocking about on the roads in the uk it's a decent number isn't it so i've, I've realized there's a big and we've never i've never sort of i've never i've never done anything for the uk market so we're, yeah. Yeah, we're coming up with a product yeah i mean very astutely some a customer said this to me the other day he said you know he's he's a he's a reset reseller in boston um and he was like you know it's you know everyone wants the cars but you know when the cars are all gone people are going to want the parts which is not true not untrue no, indeed, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity there for you to expand and to um, and and to diversify your business as you move forwards. Yeah, no, indeed. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for for sharing your story with us today, Sam. And you know, it's I think having had the twelve months since we since we caught up, it's uh, it would be really useful for the listeners to kind of have have that that catch up to learn what you've been up to uh, recently, especially with the with the bizarre year that we've we've had. So before we finish. Uh, there's mm-hmm. four questions that I ask every guest. So I'd love to know, what's the one best piece of advice you'd give to somebody considering starting their own business? I think it's probably belief. I know it sounds a bit, maybe a bit pathetic, but you've got, you've got to believe. It's a, re- it's a really scary step. Um, and I think a, g- a good way to start is take something you know really well and, and start there. So I think that's what I've done. I've taken something I'm really super passionate about and worked out you know, where we can go with it. And I think it's, it's opened up a few doors that I never realized was there at the start. So it's belief. Yeah, I don't think it's pathetic at all. I, I think without belief, there is nothing. You know, I, I think it's you, you have to believe in what it is that you're going to offer. But at the same time, it can't be blind belief. And, you know, and having have, as, as you've said in the second part there of, of your answer, I think having that knowledge of a specific product should help to give that belief that, yes, I, I know and understand this. I know where my audience are. Um, and I know what I can offer them that they'll find valuable. So, and yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? How these things then develop from a starting point as well, because the starting point tends to be quite small. And but the more you get involved, the more opportunities open up. So yeah, I, I think that's a really great answer. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the second question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started your business? How important a team is, um, and I think that's something that you don't you don't realize at the start, and it's sometimes quite hard 
because you sort of you start on your own and then you don't think you can ever sort of give responsibility away um, and I think maybe it's only until you give it away that you realize oh, I wish I knew how important that was mm, yeah I think that's a really interesting point and it's certainly something that that I've struggled with as well having been a contractor for so many years so to then move on and have a wider team uh, there's there's a real range of people that most of them you know kind of on a freelance basis but having having that team around you to to help make the business cohesive um yeah and it, it can be hard to give things away can't it as well and to and to offload some of the work and trust and, and to trust people as well it's, yeah it's a big it's a big trust thing i think you think I, I was i very much had this mentality that it was my baby and i just never was going to give it away um yeah. and i think if someone told me earlier that actually it's really good to you know trust other people that you know have a, a, a certain skill so whether it's a designer or a even a freight forwarder or you know even someone that you know specialize in marketing um because they can really you know take take your business to the next stage and then you know you you just concentrate on what you're very good at yes so i probably i probably i don't i probably would have got maybe got to where i got a bit quicker i'm not saying i've got very far but i think you've come a long way <laughs> that, that sort of thing yeah no it's really really interesting and uh and, and certainly i think a point for people starting out there is to to think okay what what can we offload even if it's a small thing and even if it you know and preferably if it's a small thing really and if mm. it doesn't cost a huge amount it's like and what does that free up to allow you to concentrate on other things so yeah that's a really interesting point um okay is there a resource that you would recommend for those at the very start of their journey so a, a book a website a podcast anything along those lines that's helped you um yeah so i would there's nothing specifically and it's not a, and it's not there's not a one fit answer for this but you know if you if you've got a passion or you've got you've got something you're very interested in you know, spend time on the topic so I, I as a kid i used to watch wheeler dealers i used to watch mike brewer um on the discovery channel um you know fix up cars and try and flog them for a profit um yep. and it, it sounds sounds silly but that was like that was very inspirational for me so so yeah in, t in terms of like is there, is there a um is there something you should be reading just read around your topic um i think that's very important yeah and you never know where that light bulb moment will come from as well yeah correct always try, try and be an expert in your field i think so you know the more, the more you read about you know what, what you want to do is is the better the better yeah time well spent as well you know because it, it all helps to kind of grow that 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 depth of, of what a market's like and looking at case studies and um yeah and that will help to find a specific niche as well i think in many ways there i've read i've read you know i've read great books that have been very inspiring but i haven't i wouldn't per se say from experience they've helped me execute what i wanted to execute interesting um but that but that inspiration is something in itself um yeah so i've read I've, I've read very few books because of how severely dyslexic i am but i read richard branson's book um and that um is it screw it let's do it and that was very inspirational yeah um, and that's always like being it's, i would say it's back in the back of my mind but i'm very much like you know you know that's him in a telephone box you know pretending that he's in an office um it's those sort of stories and i dare say that was in the in your mind back in march when you decided to ship those two further cars to the u.s yeah yeah it's it's amazing isn't it how these things do they, these acorns do grow and then they they help you to make a decision further down the line but yeah just just so your li listeners are clear it would be just you know read around what you're going to do and you know, just become more of an expert 
Um, I think you always you always get yourself in trouble when you try and you know just think you can start a business in an industry you've not got a clue about. Okay, and the final question is, who would you recommend as a guest on a future episode of the show? So that's really easy for me, strangely. So I would, a, a man called Matt Turner. Um, so Matt Turner was my boss at Clownfish Events, who are an events company in London. And he is probably going through the most extraordinary time of change um, ever because he runs an events company. So his, his yep. company has been absolutely decimated, I would imagine. Um, he, might, he might say... He might say something else, but I, I can't imagine it's easy. Um, and he has yeah. just adapted and adapted. Um, and he's been my es- inspiration um, because I watched him build a business um, from a similar age as me. And that yeah. was the, that was like, that showed me it was possible. Brilliant. Well, I'd love to have him, have him on the show. And I, I think events have been hit harder than almost anybody this year mm. because of the whole nature of what they do. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to hear from him and how he's, how he's adapted. So yeah, no, great, great suggestion there. So thank you, Sam. It's been great speaking with you. So if, if people would like to get in touch and find out more about, about what you do and perhaps even buy one of your cars, you know, how would they, they get in touch? With so, you? Yeah. So if you, if, um, if you don't see anything you like, just contact me, I will always help. But um, if you go to www.samuelloydco.com and that's a triple L just to make it extra complicated um, and you'll see... <laughs> And you'll see uh, our inventory of, I get, or not inventory, our A-list. Um, and you'll see stuff we've sold. Okay. Well, it's it's been great having these two conversations with you. And I say, especially having had the year apart and then to see, you know, how you've moved forwards. And uh, yeah, I wish you every success for the, Thank you, for the year and, and indeed the years ahead. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the, the book and the podcast series. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Looking back, I wish I had Sam's enthusiasm and mindset when I was younger. And helping young people see opportunity and the options that they have is something I'm really passionate about to help them make better decisions and avoid some of the wasted years that I had. If you're a young person considering starting your own business, or if there's someone in your life who is, have a read of my book, Project Future Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. I'm delighted it's been bought by some sixth form colleges as a useful read towards entrepreneurship and enterprise modules. So whether for yourself or someone else, do reach out to me, the school, college or university about stocking the book, or indeed about me coming in to speak on the subject. On next week's episode, I have another contributor to Project Future, Sue Belton, on why you always have a choice, especially when you think you don't. So please subscribe to get notified of this on Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.